Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Opposites React. It is episode 83 on August 25th, 2021. My name is Sarah, and I'm here with Tyler. How are you doing? Pretty good, thanks. How are you? I am good, thank you. What is up? Well, before we uh, recorded this tonight, we had some exciting news. You're having life. a baby? Not exactly. <laughs> Unless you want to call it a fur baby. Oh, yay, fur babies. So Sarah and I went to go look at dogs tonight. Woof, woof. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say puppy, but it's not really. She's a, still a puppy. Still technically a puppy? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Was it what, four months old? She's uh, just four months old, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at uh, beautiful white shepherds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely caught Sarah's attention the other day. We saw an ad for them online, and uh, I contacted the, the breeder today. We set up an appointment, and uh, we went up to meet him tonight. And, uh, yeah, the, the dogs were amazing, mm -hmm. one in particular that we really bonded with. So we're super excited. We're going to, by the time you guys listen to this, actually, probably uh, tomorrow uh, we'll be going to pick up the dogs. So we're going to have the dog come home to our family. You'll probably hear her in the background eventually. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> no, Mommy, but, but honestly, she was a really well-tempered dog. Yep. I'm going to keep her that way. Mm-hmm. But yes. It's super exciting. Other than that, how is your life going? Oh, you know, the usual. <laughs> <laughs> I admit, I haven't really watched anything new recently, so... No. We've yeah. been watching the Jays lose. That's been yes. fun. Yeah. we to talk about that. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? Um, we had an email first. Oh, sorry. I didn't know we had an email. Please tell me. Okay. Oh, here we go. Email. <laughs> the, the title. Uh-oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> title of the email. Okay. So this is from Daniel. Long time listener. <laughs> um, so he says, "Oh, that's the okay. That's the name of the show." Yes. Okay. So, uh oh, was the game show on YTV? Uh -oh. And now I can hear it in my head that we were trying to think yeah. of. Yeah. So thank big, you very much, thanks, Dan. He also mentions in, in the email, um, "I felt like my taste has had three or four pivots in my life: going to high school, leaving high school, finishing college, and getting married." He says, when I was going into high school, I feel like I started to watch what I thought was cool, but turned out to be not cool, like Goosebumps. <laughs> goosebumps. I miss goose Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yep. That was like, oh, peak awesome. He, say, he then says, and then once high school was over, I went through a phase of dark horrors and thrillers that I still like to watch to this day. Hannibal, Silence of the Lambs, oh, things like that. Tim Morton clone. Cool. But then my college years were just silly comedies that I would just have on in the background while studying. <laughs> and then finally, once I got married, it turned to more things to watch together rather than what I just want to watch this or that. He says, I definitely grew out of a time in my life where all I wanted to watch was Fast and the Furious. And, I'll, <laughs> and I will add, it was the first three when they were decent movies. <laughs> oh, unpopular. Yeah. Well, thanks for the email, Dan. We appreciate your Thank thoughts. Thank you kindly. Yeah, I love hearing it. I miss Goosebumps. Now you make me want to have I know, right? <laughs> Um, all right, so like I said, we're not gonna waste any time tonight. Let's get because there's gonna be five big moves you gotta talk about. So, you want to do the intro? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We are in part five of five for the year 2007. These are the epic ones, yes, the Oscar bait. And I'm not. I'm not gonna do the preamble this time. Anybody who's been listening, I doubt. <laughs> I doubt this is your first podcast listening to us. So you probably know what this series already is and why I'm listing these vent movies. So I'm not gonna go into the whole spiel about that again. So let's just get right into it. Sure. Oh. So these movies are. I don't remember any of these movies that you told me. So I want to say this is like most of them. Most of these are December of like '07. A couple okay. of them might be late November, but definitely towards that end of the year Oscar time, right? Not mm -hmm. to say all these movies are necessarily Oscar worthy, but. 
there's definitely two of them in particular definitely got a lot of nominations. So, um, so the first one we're going with here in chronological order was a movie called American Gangster. Remember that one? I remember the name. I think I've listened to it, but not probably watched it. To it. Yeah. So this was directed by Ridley Scott. Mm. He's a great director. I probably mentioned multiple times on here. Mm-hmm. You know, he's an Alien, Blade Runner, Gladiator, Black Hawk Down, just to name a few. All yeah, like, only all these amazing. Nobody movies, knows right? these movies. Right. Um, so, anyways, American Gangster. It's based on a true story, and it stars Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe, which at the yeah. time was a really cool pair. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Um, and uh, Denzel Washington plays a character called Frank Lucas, who is basically uh, he eventually becomes the head of this like mob family in New York. But the difference here is like again, New York usually you're thinking like Italian families. Is that what I think of when I think of New York? Well, like, Italian mob families. <laughs> I, I think mean. of that when I think of Thorold. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, like you know, you go back to like like in New York, like the old school days, the mafia was all like you know Italians, Sicilians. You know, you had uh, and then you had obviously with the Sopranos, you had the popularity. Oh, of, was that based in New York? Well, it was New Jersey, but uh, New Jersey. So, but the big thing about Denzel's story is that Frank Lucas he becomes the head of this, you know, mafia family, but he's obviously African American. Yes. Which and I think this movie takes place in the seventies, like nineteen seventies. So, that's so like it's it was really uncalled for. Right. Yeah. Like the whole well, there's one one big like uh narrative in the movie is the fact that like Russell Crowe, who's like the police officer, he starts off as a cop and I think he eventually gets promoted to a different branch of the department that's like investigating these mafia families okay and he starts to believe that denzel's character he starts following him around and watching him at like spe- like like sporting events like a boxing mm. match stuff and he's like this guy has a lot more power than people are giving him credit for because but everybody's discrediting him because he's a he's an african-american right yeah so he tries to like bring up with his superiors and like even like the no, fbi and stuff and they're all like exactly like that can never happen yeah. right so but um it's a really good movie it's definitely a drama like there are some scenes of action in it including one really cool shootout near the end of the movie but for the most part it's not a huge action film right it's not short either i remember it being probably at least two and a half hours long most really scott films are <laughs> but uh really, really well acted i mean there's plenty of other actors in the movie i haven't even mentioned outside of the, the big two but um yeah it's just it's a movie i come back to every once in a while mm-hmm. it's uh if it's on tv i usually watch most of I was it because is that one that you find often on tv uh, or not no? often but i didn't think so yeah sometimes it's on like showcase or whatever but okay but no really good movie and um, i i want to say i got maybe a couple nominations that year from the academy awards not a ton and unfortunately because it really got overshadowed by a couple of other films on this list i'm going to mm. mention later for obvious reasons so everybody can't win on this epic year right exactly it was a good year but yeah um i don't know it's a movie i feel like most people don't talk about nowadays no in in, in high acclaim but are mob movies that big anymore no not really um but yeah, this was like this one doesn't lean too much into the mob aspect. I don't want to like hype that up too much. I'm just there's a lot going on in the movie actually, um, and it mostly follows. I'd say the story is like seventy percent Denzel, thirty percent Russell Crowe. They do okay. intersect towards the end of the film. So like for the first part of the film, they're not obviously in scenes together. No, because, they can join at the end. I right, assume. exactly. So, but it's, it's like choosing your main character. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, it was a really well-acted film, though, and yeah, a good story. I think it's good for at least one watch. I don't know if you're going to want to rewatch it. That's up to your preference, but mm. at least for a first viewing, I think it's a really good movie. So. Okie dokie. Next on the list is one I, another one I really like, and I think you I think you like this one, too. Mm. Um, it is based on a Stephen King novel, and I, I'm not 100% sure. I want to say this was done before, like in the 70s or 80s, they originally made this film, like turned this book into a film, but this was the new, the most recent adaptation. Oh, I know what you're talking about. And it's called The Mist. Yes. 
Was, did we already talk about 1408? Was that a thing on here? That, that was earlier this year. Because that was also based on Stephen King, wasn't it? Is, it is, yes. Oh, wow, that's a good Lots year of stuff for him. is based on Stephen King. Yeah, but two in one year. Right, it? yep. Uh, yeah, The Mist, yes. But after I watched a Corridor Crew video on how bad the graphics and the visual effects were, mm. I have a different view of it, but I think it was still good. It's definitely a little low budget. Some of the CGI is a little questionable, but it's more about... Like, what do you remember about the movie? Can you give a brief synopsis um, without spoiling mist, like, the ending? And everybody's in, like, a convenience store, and everybody's got, like, a personality, and... Right, everybody's got a personality. Really well, no, like, well, there's there's definitely, like, just some outspoken people there. I mean, you you got basically this small, like, New England-type town. Yes. Or, you know, and, and yeah, you're right. So, the, the where the, everything sort of comes to a head is that most people are in this convenience store, you know, shopping, whatever, and then this... I think you see a bunch of military vehicles drive by. There's like yes. a sirens going off, like air sirens. Yep. And then it's revealed that like, you know, there was some issue at like a military installation. And like people are always talking about what they hear from hearsay. Like, oh, my neighbor told me this. Or I heard about this on, on the, like this frequency on the walkie talkie. And eventually this huge mist just converges the whole area, including mm. this. Everybody's trapped in this, in this um, convenience store. Uh, sorry, sorry, supermarket, not convenience store. Oh, it's, it's a supermarket? It's, it's a supermarket. Okay, yeah, so it's, it's bigger like a, than I think. Right. It is bigger than, yeah, it's, it's a food store. So... Uh, <laughs> Avondale sells food. Well, bigger than that. <laughs> it's not as big as a Costco, let's say. But it's like it's a like, shopper's drug mart. How about that? Sure. For people, Americans are going to know that reference. <laughs> well, like, come you on. Know what? But anyways, um, yeah, so then uh, some people try and leave the store, like run back to their cars, and then they, well, get, they get eaten up. Goodbye. Yeah, there's like always monsters in the mist. They do a good job of teasing. They don't show too much at the end of the film. And then towards the end, you see all these different types of monsters. I don't remember that part. Like some of them I were. Well, there, there, was, monster, there was, honestly. no, there was like, there's like a huge. One of the first deaths in the film was like this kid gets dragged under this door by like a huge tentacle. Like that's what thing. I remember. Yeah. yeah. What do you remember that where they go? When they, remember they they do leave the store to go to like a neighboring store trying to get supplies, and there's like all the huge spiders in there. Oh and then like no! Flying creatures. Like no. Yeah. It's, now uh, I don't want to watch this again. <laughs> so, yeah, it starts. Like, it stars Thomas Jane. Um, he's the main. He's the protagonist. You got like Marcia Gay Harden, um, William Holden. I'm trying to think what other names. Andre Brower, you don't know any of these, but no. Anyways, it's not like an A-list no, cast no, no. thing. It's not huge, but I'm just saying, like, but for me, it's a good film, and like, you know, the first half really intrigues you, and yep. then it maybe hits a little lull in the when they're when you're spending a lot of time with all these people in the, in the store, mm-hmm. but then again, when it comes to like the climax of the film, where everybody does try and escape the store and make yeah. a run for it. I'm not going to spoil the ending. No, the, the ending, ending is the, the ending best is part. Amazing, yeah. and it, the ending is very different from the book. So yes. if anybody's read the book, you'll know the end. And Stephen King even went on record and said that he liked. The ending the film better, better yeah. than what he chose for the book. Yeah. Um, and this is directed by Frank Darabont, who might, some people might know that name. He's a great director. Like he's done, um, he's done uh, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, like, I know that Green one. That's a great movie. Oh, I love Green Mile. Um, I'm missing another big one of his. I think he did. Um, oh no, not true. No, much. don't be no, wrong. Not, not true. Oh, I love. Show. No, what's the other Jim Carrey one he did? The Majestic. Like, you ever seen the Majestic? What? No, is that yeah. a thing. He also is popular for creating The Walking Dead show oh, on AMC. Oh, yeah. I've never watched in my life. So yeah, he's, he's a really good director. Um, and this, you know, this is no different. This film is really good. I remember seeing I remember seeing this film in theaters and the ending. And I was then just we saw like, it together. Yeah, I think you're right. And I remember the ending. I was just like, oh my god, that ending is so. It's such a bold choice. Yes. And the music and everything that just the yeah. whole climax no. was amazing. I'm Definitely like, the best part. Worth yeah. worth it's way. Worth, it's worth the whole the, worth the whole movie. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, I won't spoil that. So go watch a movie. I don't know if it's on Netflix or anything. I yeah, didn't do my no. research on this, but... Uh, we failed again. I think it. I think in, like, the recap episode when you, like, 
rank the mm-hmm. top 10 we should check which yes we definitely viewable. will we will do a better job of this <laughs> these are I the agree. top 10 you should actually watch it we'll find them for you <laughs> all right so now in my opinion we're getting into the real big three here oh i'm ready these are the have i watched them all the two of them oh. yeah, i believe um well two for sure i appreciate sure you haven't seen the third one but you well, definitely you knew you'll, you'll, right so the next one on the list is probably one of my favorite movies on this whole list to be honest like, oh, well, don't spoil yours. Uh, I'm going to have a hard time leaving this off my top 10, but we'll see. It's a, Lars is number one, Tyler. Okay, We've already established that. Okay, this one is called Charlie Wilson's War. Oh, that's a that's a good one. I wouldn't put it up there, but really? it's a good I one. I really like this one. So for those who don't know, this stars Tom Hanks. Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts. That's all I got. Phil, <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, yeah. He's in yeah. Oh, yeah. He is yeah. in there. And he's yeah. one of the best parts of this movie. His, his chemistry with Tom Hanks, a lot of their scenes carries this movie. You know, it's funny you mentioned Julia Roberts because I was thinking about this movie the other day and I was thinking this movie is very misogynistic mm. and it was done that way on purpose. Yes. Because it takes place in the 1980s. Um, Tom Hanks plays a character called Charlie Wilson who was a U.S. I believe he was a senator. Oh, shit. I can't remember. No, sorry. He's a congressman. I was going to say senator. He's a U.S. congressman. Okay. And he... Um, so he, he has like power over like a small... He has a small riding or a small district that he has voters. A jurisdiction. And, sure. I don't know. So throughout the the course of the movie, what happens is, like I said, this is taking place during, like, like kind of during the... It's sort of toward the end of the Cold War, I should say, between the U.S. and Russia. But what's happening is there's a lot of fighting going on in Afghanistan, and the U.S. is involved in that. But no no one in the U.S., the higher departments, are really paying attention to it because it hasn't turned into an issue yet. So he... But he wants to help the Afghans fight the Russians, because obviously the U.S. is against Russia, right? So Charlie right. Wilson, he raises funds through the through through Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, who's a CIA agent. Um, they decide to some, to raise these funds through their small little section of the U.S. government, and then supply the troops in Afghanistan with like RPGs and firearms and stuff, so they can right. fight the Russians to shoot down the Russian helicopters. Yes. Especially that's one of the big parts of the movie. So where this and the movie's really it, it it blends it's a good mix of like comedy there's definitely some funny moments but there's also some good drama mm-hmm. and a little bit of action like it's for, good balancing it's a really good balance balancing act for the film but where it comes to a head is towards the end of the film there's this really pivotal conversation between Tom Hanks and Philip Summer Hoffman where you know they're at a party and Tom Hanks is saying like you know oh I helped you raise like 500 million dollars to, to fund this army mm-hmm. and Philip Summer Hoffman's characters kept trying to warn him throughout the movie of what's going to happen if the U.S. just turns her back on Afghanistan Mm. And it's sort of implying what happened with 9-11. Yes. Like, there's literally, a, like, the director was kind of a little, um, we call it... Um, Outspoken? No, a little overzealous with the... Uh. Like, like literally, when Philip Seymour Hoffman is telling this to Tom Hanks, letting it sink in, you hear audio in the film of, like, a plane. Oh, wow, they uh, went there. Yeah, so it's like, they're trying to really make that connection, like, really rammed in your head, that, like, hey... Because the U.S. gave all these weapons and firearms and stuff to, to Afghanistan and didn't didn't follow up with them afterwards right. kind of make sure that you know brushes out of their hair he's kind of implying that it turned into like the Taliban which then turned into you know uh, Osama bin Laden and then the whole oh. thing that happened 9-11 wow we are really implying things here right but they make a good point out too towards really, another really good scene towards the end of the movie where Tom Hanks is arguing with they're in this small cabinet meeting and Tom Hanks is arguing about spending like passing a bill to spend a million dollars to help rebuild a school in Afghanistan and okay. I, remember, I remember it's really good scenes like one of the other congressmen or somebody is there he's like nobody cares about a school in Pakistan and then he's like, it's Afghanistan, not Pakistan. Like, he's just showing how ignorant, oh, yeah. <laughs> how ignorant the U.S. was about, yeah. you know, we don't care about that little country. What, what, what are they going to do, you know? Mm. So it's, it just shows how, you know, the U.S. arrogance sometimes with, you know, not following up about 
smaller countries that they just disregard mm-hmm. turns into a, a thing. So something that's still ongoing to this day, pretty yep. much. You know that part of the world, but. Um, but getting back to the movie itself, it is, and why I said it's misogynistic, sorry, I kind of skipped over that point, but, uh, the movie takes place, like I said, in the 1980s, and it definitely, all the women in the movie are pretty much treated as eye candy. Yes. Like, Charlie Wilson has, like, his secretary and a bunch of other women that work for him, and they're all, yeah. like, remember, like, his little gang of women? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you got Amy Adams in there. Oh, I forgot she was yeah. in there. And earlier in the movie, he's, he sleeps, or he has an affair with, uh, Emily Blunt. And she's oh, wow. just there she's as eye like candy. Yeah. Wow. Uh, even Julia easy. Roberts' character, even though she had a little more agency in the film, there's a few scenes in the movie, like one scene where she's literally just like getting out of a pool in a bikini. And I'm like, okay, and like, you know, the movie. Good job. The movie is just, but the movie is saying that's just how women were treated back yep. then. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, wrong. Yeah. So it's, but, um, but man, I tell you, like, as good as Tom Hanks is, and he's an amazing actor, mm. Philip Seymour Hoffman really stole this movie. There's that whole opening, remember that monologue, the very first scene you see him in when he's in that office yelling at his CIA boss, and he smashes the guy's window? I think you showed me this on YouTube. Yeah, it's like, that could be, that should have been one of Seymour, Philip Seymour Hoffman's, like, last, one of the, if they're going to show, like, an in-memoriam thing mm. when he passed away years ago, that would be one of his defining scenes, in my mm. opinion. It's just such a well-acted scene, and he's so funny in the movie, and he just knows how to carry a scene, and going toe-to-toe with Tom Hanks, too, right? Like, they just play off each other so well. And yeah, it's a really good film. I love it. I can watch it anytime. Um, but yeah. But we don't know where. Uh, yes. Again, <laughs> we will do a better job recapping. Well, you have that. to if this isn't the top of your list. Okay. I think I've talked enough about this one. The next two are the big hitters here. So okay. we need to talk about these. Um, so yeah, we're going in chronological order here. So the next one that I'm sure most people have either seen or at least heard of before uh, is No Country for Old Men. I knew it was coming. Yeah. So I remember this, Potato Gun. That's all I remember. <laughs> this is based on a novel by Cormac McCarthy. You read the novel. I've read the novel. Yep. The movie is like ninety nine percent faithful to the book. Yes. Like I swear, it's like there's exact like the directors are the Coen Brothers, who have done many amazing films over the last like thirty years. You know, like Fargo, The Big Lebowski. Um, um, yeah, I wouldn't call that a great movie, but okay, whatever. Come on. Uh, <laughs> you know, they've done so many. Like so many, I can't even think. Like they've probably done at least a dozen movies. They did a remake of True Grit recently. That was really good. Mm. Well, that was within the last 10 years. I mean, not recently, but Burn After Reading. Yep. Um, oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? They even did that thing on Netflix a couple years ago with The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which was really good. That is a name. It's a Western. But anyways. Of course it is. So Coen Brothers is really good. And this is probably their best film. Like yes. prior to this film coming out, it was probably Fargo in the 90s yeah. was their best film. This is definitely regarded as their best film. Like it won so many awards. It's... It's such a good. It's a good film. Of so many. Re- okay, the acting first off. The casting was top yes, notch. That's what I was gonna say. Like the top three, the main three actors in this film. You got Josh Brolin. Tommy Lee Jones. Yes, but you got Josh Brolin playing the lead character. Um, oh my gosh, I know the villain's name. What was? What was? He jo- was the best character. What was, what was Josh? No, no. Hang on. I'm trying to think what Josh Brolin's character's name was. Oh, I don't remember that. Um, Llewellyn. Llewellyn. Moss. Oh yes. yes yeah. And like, this whole movie takes place in Texas, or it starts yeah. off in Texas anyway. From what's it? And then, but the the main, and then you had Tommy Lee Jones playing the the captain, yeah, or not captain, the okay. sheriff, yeah, the sheriff of uh, Captain yeah. Tom, Sheriff Bell, I think his name. I don't remember the first name, unfortunately. But the, definitely the standout in this one, and the one who got most of the critical acclaim was and uh, what's the character's name first? Javier Bardem, yes. playing the villain Anton Sugar. Yes. So he's well known. So in, good. The villain is iconic. This movie for so many reasons. Number one, it's just his overall appearance, the haircut, like the haircuts, yeah. the way he walks. Yeah. He barely says anything in the yeah. movie, but he but is so intimidating, so intense. And like, like the movie starts off with him literally getting arrested. Like it shows a cop car driving to the station as Tom Lee Jones doing a little like voiceover like narration, mm-hmm. and then it shows the cop like sitting at. Again, this take, I think again I think this takes place in the 
early 1980s. Okay. They don't reference it directly in the movie, but there's lots of references. Like, everybody's using, like, old-style landline phones, and, oh, like, okay. the trucks are all really old-looking. You know what I mean? Like, it's definitely, like, an early 80s, 1980s. But, like, so the, the cop is, like, talking to his superior on the phone. He's like, yeah, I just arrested this guy, yada, yada. And then all you see in the background is Anton getting up, getting out of his handcuffs, like, or, or slipping. Like, he kind of slips his legs, like, puts right. his arms under his legs to get his hands free. And then he walks up behind and starts strangling yeah. this cop. And then that's, like, that's just your intense introduction yes. to this character. And then... From there, like, segues into, like, basically, you start off with the villain in the movie, and then the movie transitions to Josh Brolin's character, and he comes across this, like, what looks like a drug robbery slash shootout in the desert, and he sees all these dead bodies in trucks, and then he finds a, a guy hiding under a tree with a bag full of money. Right. He takes this little satchel of money. I think there's, like, one or two million dollars in it, something like that. And then it's revealed. So then, then the whole movie becomes, like, a cat and mouse game, because you have Anton, who you don't, you don't know his role at this point in the movie, but you later find out he was hired by like the Mexican cartel to go track down the missing money. Okay. Because because sorry because there's a tracking device in the bag. Oh. Brolin's character finds this out later on and ditches it, but it's too late. By the time he ditches the device, uh, Anton's already tracked him down to this hotel, and they have this little shootout. The movie. You know what's great about the movie too is that there's hardly any music in the movie. So every time you have these really intense scenes where like they're stalking each other, there's just like no, there's no dramatic music to no. like tense it you hear, up. Like the sand under their feet. Yeah, like he's like Llewellyn's literally hiding in the hotel room. He's got the light off. He's just, like st- sitting there uh, with a shotgun pointing yes. at the door. And then you see Anton like outside the door walk because you see like the I see, light. I remember there's a vent. You remember Is there a vent part of this? Yes. Okay. That's when he goes to a different hotel. Remember the oh. part where he, he's Anton's is standing outside the doorway, and then you just see the light in the hallway go off. And then the guy, so he slowly starts to open the door. Okay. Like, remember, he uses the he uses his, his cattle gun, the, the yes. potato gun thing, to yeah. shoot shoot the doorknob out. Yes. Yeah. That's just like oh, like, oh. The, sound, the sound design in the film yes. is so good. Oh, wonderful. And I keep hyping up those two actors, but honestly, Tommy Lee Jones also the movie is called No Country for Old Men for a reason because yeah. even though the movie's mostly about you see, I'm trying to think which character you see the most. You probably see Brolin's character the most in terms of screen time, but obviously Anton is there always, always as an intimidating presence. Mm-hmm. But the movie really is about Tommy Lee Jones' character because the movie starts out with his opening narration and it ends with his narration. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to spoil the ending. I remember watching movie theaters and people were really annoyed at the ending because one of those ones where it's just like there's just like a monologue and yeah. then the film just ends. Like it just cuts to black. And you're supposed to absorb like those last words. Mm-hmm. And I like, think people really didn't get it at first. When you re- really, when you watch the movie a second time or even you just watch some like film analysis videos on YouTube or something, mm-hmm. like I said, it's hard to say because again, even though they were faithful to the book, they obviously had to cut some stuff out of the book for runtime. Mm-hmm. They didn't do everything from the book, mm-hmm. but what was in the book that was important went into the movie. Right. So I don't know. It's just, it's one of those movies that this one's usually on TV a lot. And, Is it? Yeah. And, uh, but again, it's one like, you can obviously just like pick up and start watching it halfway through, especially if you've seen it before. I feel like it's really, really you get the most impact out of this movie if you watched it all the way through in one sitting. The convenience store scene. Did you mention the convenience store scene? Gas station scene. Gas station. Yeah, where he intimidates the yes. old guy. That's oh boy. Yeah, the best scene in the movie, probably. One of the best. So yeah. many, there's so many good scenes in the movie. I remember you showing me that recently. No, I, I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah. I don't want to spoil all the scenes for people that haven't I seen know. it. But, but I think most people have at least heard of this movie before. For sure. It's hard to ignore it. Um, yeah. So, last one on the list, and it's hard, it's just crazy to think we got these both these movies in the same month at the end of '07. Because again, if if this next movie, if this next movie hadn't come out, No Country for Old Men would have swept all the awards pretty much. I think I know what movie. But because this one came out, it did sneak into some of that critical acclaim. And this one's called There Will Be Blood. There Will Be Blood. Very good. Yes. I remember it sneaking in and like just sweeping mm-hmm. away stuff. It's like, well, this. Would so have been. this <laughs> one is directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Okay. who has done not a lot of movies you've seen but he's done like he did Boogie Nights he did um, 
uh, Punch Drunk Love, Magnolia, uh, this one. Obviously, uh, he did. Uh, the, I'm just trying to think I, I chronologically here. He did one five or six years ago, I think it was, called The Master with Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman. That was a great film. Okay. And, uh, oh, and I think the most recent one he did, actually, another one with, with Daniel Day Lewis, it was called Phantom Thread. So I've seen none of his movies. No. <laughs> Literally. But he is a great director. And um, so this movie does, it stars Daniel Day-Lewis. And he pretty much won all the acting awards for this movie. Mm-hmm. He plays Daniel Plainview. This movie takes place, I think, I believe at the end of like the 1890s, early 1900s. Okay. So Daniel Plainview's character. The movie starts off with him. The movie starts off amazingly. It's like a, it's like a six or seven minute opening scene where there's no dialogue. And it's just the one guy. You see him like, he's in the process of digging out... Um, He's trying to dig for oil, so he's digging out like an yeah. oil well somewhere in, in the United States, right? And he does, he does, he does strike oil, and then, but he gets injured in the process of because he's working by himself at this. And then when there's like when he's like he sticks a dynamite in to blow out this hole, and he, he doesn't pull himself out of the hole in time, so the explosion kind of like causes him to fall back into the hole, and he like hurts his back or breaks his leg or something. I don't remember, but he has to crawl out of the hole basically by himself. It's Batman coming out of right? the yeah. pit. <laughs> But the movie transitions to him like now, you know, it skips from the opening scene to him now being obviously he's obviously found oil, so he's now he's rich and he's um he's trying to travel across the U.S. and find other oil wells okay. that he can dig so he can be more rich. And the movie just becomes this like he finds this plot of land and he wants to dig for. He knows there's oil there, and he wants to dig for it. But there's this family that owns the land, this religious family, and the young there's a young man in the family who's a minister, like a priest in this local church, and he wants to basically buy the family's plot of land so he can dig for the oil there and this young minister really good actor he's played by paul dino okay um i don't know what else you'd know him from i was trying to think but he he was in uh, little miss sunshine i know he that was, one he what was character? the son who didn't talk remember the mute son oh, who, yeah, yeah he's awesome yeah. he was my favorite character <laughs> and he's also he's gonna be the riddler in the new batman movie which is kind of cool no yeah like this is uh patterson's but, Batman? Yeah, with Pattinson. Okay. Yeah. Pattinson. I'm yeah. Sorry. Um, but anyways, getting back to it. So this young priest knows what plain, what Daniel Day Lewis's character, what Daniel Plain was trying to do. So he sort of like manipulates him a bit and like tries to get him to come to his church. And he does like this sermon, even because Daniel goes along with it, even though he doesn't believe in religion or anything, just so he can appease his family and get their right. land. Yes. But then the priest, the minister, kind of like humiliates him. He does oh. the he does this thing where he kind of gives him like a fake baptism. But he just keeps like slapping him around and just it like sounds like Far Cry Six, right? So Far Cry Five. Five. Uh, yes, five. You're right. But um, anyways, like the movie, I'm not going to detail the whole movie. I'm just going to say it's very slow. It's a very slow movie. Yeah, but I don't mind. But I know about but it. But I don't mind it at all. Like, I saw it in theaters. Three and I was, hours, isn't it? It's under three hours. But um, yeah, the movie drags. And because, but it's really the acting that draws you in. Like it's a slow story. There's a lot of scenes where you think, what does this mean? What is this, where is this going to lead to? But yeah, you can easily see why Daniel Day-Lewis uh, won the Best Actor. He, he basically, he's one of these actors who he picks his roles so carefully okay. that pretty much every time he does a role like this, he, he wins Best Actor. Okay. Like, he won it, I think he won it for the very first time in the 90s. Uh, he did a, no, wait, did he win for, his very, one of his very first movies, I remember seeing it back in like film school, he did a movie called My Left Foot. Where and he's and he's a method actor, so he gets very into his character roles. Okay. Like he lives these characters when he's off screen. Like he'll get absorbed with whatever he's supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Like he did movies. He did one called My Left Foot. He did The Last of the Mohicans. He did In the Name of the Father, which is like an Irish film. Uh, where he got a lot of critical acclaim. Those were more like 
not European movies, but those weren't huge hits in North America necessarily, those earlier films I mentioned. But once he hit his stride in like the early 2000s, he did, uh, he did Gangs of New York, which was a Martin Scorsese film where he started yeah. with Leonardo DiCaprio. Right. He got a lot of acclaim for that one. He won uh, acting award for that one. He got another award for, for doing... Um, uh, was, oh, he played um, he played Abraham Lincoln in Steven Spielberg's film about Lincoln, and uh, and then obviously like this one, like I said, we just mentioned there will be blood, you know, playing the oil, the oil man Daniel Plainview, and then recently he did another one called Phantom Thread, which was also the same director Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh. So the guy does movie a movie like every three or four years. Every time he does, he just knocks it out of the park. Right, he's just such a great actor. And it I think so much I, out of you. Oh yeah, becoming like. Character. And I think he's sort of unofficially retired now. Right. Like, but people are hoping. I think he's going to come out of retirement, give one last. You know. Oh, yeah, you find the right. He's, he's probably in his I don't know late fifties. Like he's okay. not very old, but you still have stuff to do that you want to. He went out on the high note. That's for sure. Yeah. I tell you. But um, yeah. This but this movie is um, and it, it's got a very interesting ending. I'm not going to spoil it, obviously. But let's just say um, you won't be bored by the ending. <laughs> let's put it that <laughs> oh, way. Geez. The ending is very intense. Um. And yeah, like I said, I don't know. I, I feel like watching No Country for Old Men and there'll be blood back to back would be like five of the most, five or six of the most intense hours of your life. <laughs> really? Yeah, just in terms of those movies will drain you for different reasons. No Country for Old Men is definitely very much, much more entertaining. Yes. From an audience perspective. I have perspective, not seen but... blood because I don't want to, well, unless I want to fall asleep. <laughs> and they're both, like, again, like. I probably mentioned the name so many times before, but Roger Deakins, cin- yep. cinematographer, mm-hmm. did an amazing job of the cinematography mm-hmm. on No Country for Old Men. And he got, I'm pretty sure he got snubbed by the, the cinematographer uh, one for There Will Be Blood instead. <laughs> Just like with, um, what's funny, like they, they, they definitely competed. Like I tell you what, I have a quick list here of like the Academy Awards from, the Academy Award winners from 07. Okay. So most of these are going to be like, for example, and, and these are all movies we've mentioned on our list so far on right. our series of five. So far, it is right. done now. You have finished well, it. I know. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, best actor was Daniel Day-Lewis for yeah. There Will Be Blood. Supporting actor was Javier Bardem from No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Um, supporting actress was Tilda Swinton. She was in the Michael Clayton movie that we mentioned right, last yeah. time. Yeah. Um, you have best cinematography was There Will Be Blood. Yeah. Best director, No Country for Old Men. <laughs> best adapted screenplay, No Country for Old Men. Best picture of the year, No Country for Old Men. Was it really? Yeah. I swore that there will be blood won it. Nope. I thought so too, and I looked it up. <laughs> this wasn't one of those things where they said the wrong name. No, it was not that <laughs> year. <laughs> a few other interesting ones that we didn't mention necessarily in our list this year. Um, <clears throat> be- best visual effects of '07 went to the Golden Compass. You know oh, that? Nicole Kidman's finest work. It's crazy to think that Transformers didn't win that year. No, that but, is crazy. Yeah. Best original original screenplay was for Juno. I was gonna say Juno. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Best or original song went to Once, which makes sense. Of course, it would. This is a funny one. Best film editing, Born Ultimatum. Sure. Sound editing, Born Ultimatum. Good job. Sound mixing, Born Ultimatum. Good (laughs) job. I mean, it makes sense to tie the sound ones together because that means they have great sound. But still, that's pretty awesome for that kind of movie. And uh, best animated film of the year, we didn't mention this one, but it was Ratatouille. I've never seen it. That's like the one Pixar movie. I've and seen. best art direction, this isn't surprising, went to Sweeney Todd. <gasps> Tim Burton. Sweeney Anytime Todd. you have a Tim Burton movie, he's probably going to win art direction. Sweeney Todd. You need to find that soundtrack. But yeah, so I, again, the majority of those awards were either No Country for Old Men or There Will Be Blood. 
and the ones that it, they they beat each other out for were definitely like they were all nominated in the same categories. Right. So you you could say like you know No Country for Old Men had like eleven nominations and it won they five a or six. Yeah. So I don't know. Like I said, it was all those movies that I just mentioned in a lot that we mentioned tonight. Those five movies I saw all of those in theaters. I might have even seen a couple of them twice. Like I'm pretty sure I saw No Country for Old Men twice. Um, I don't remember if I saw The Mist twice or not, but. Um, yeah, that caps off 07, a crazy year of movies. And, the best uh, year ever? In my opinion. I mean, wait, you can't say ever, because there were some great years in like the 70s and 80s. Well, I mean, of but, your life. How about the great best well, movie I said, year? I, I said I think movies. I think it's the best in the last at least 20 years, if not 30 years. Okay. I'm trying to think before 2000, but yeah, definitely in the past 20 to 30 years, I think 07 was the best overall year of quality films. And a lot of different different tastes depending on what you were into right there was all kinds of different movies that year they weren't all the same genre that's true different actors um well yeah. now you, you have a couple weeks to start ranking mm-hmm. i do and that'll See who be, actually gets that'll be a fun the cut. list yep so on that note what do you want the final email showed it to be oh boy should we just say any movies that i missed from 07 or or do you um do you think or do we just pose the question? Ultimately, the question is, what year overall do you think is better than 07, in your opinion? Oh, yeah. That's like a challenge. Like, right? Yeah. I bet you can't find a better year. And if you can, email us <laughs> at whenoppositesreact at gmail.com. Oh, I'm tired just thinking about these movies. Like, I'm going to go watch them. I was going to say, you're tired, but you would you would 100% go watch any of them right now. If I was going to pick one of those movies to watch tonight, you'd probably know Quitcher for Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah, that's what I would have said. Even though I've probably seen it like a dozen times already. And I can probably re- I can, I can recite most of the dialogue yeah. in that movie already. But, on that note, <laughs> we will wrap this up tonight. Thank you all for listening. As always, we appreciate your support. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll be back the same time next week. Boys. Bye. Bye.